Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hurts, and today we'll be discussing some of the top training camp battles to monitor as we enter prime redraft season. Had to bring on a very special guest to get this accomplished. Important subject, and this man is all too familiar with attempting to read the tea leaves this time of the year. Co-founder of established co-founder at Establish the Run. Preseason football is good truther. My first real boss in the industry, proud member of Team Smell the Roses and Team Sex alike, Adam Levitan. What's going on, man? Yeah, man, I can't believe when you started. I mean, imagine like working with me and then all of a sudden you're like the most wanted man in, in fantasy in fantasy football. I, I, congrats to you, man. It's been uh, amazing to, to watch somebody just uh, kind of get uh, to where they want to go just by hard work and having a good attitude and being funny and being smart. So, so yeah, man, props to you. Happy to be here. Appreciate that, bro. And, you know, yeah, everyone, I'm sure everyone knows you already, Adam, but if you have not gone to establish the run, it's, you know, one of the best websites out there. I know the great Evan Silva was constantly churning out rankings. Uh, you guys got good dynasty stuff coming in too. So make sure you check out establish the run, but man, it's a tough time this year. Cause Adam, you and me both, we've loved the preseason in past years. And some people say it doesn't matter. And okay. To the extent that we shouldn't expect production to seamlessly transition the regular season, it doesn't matter. But the first team usage numbers have always been what's important. I mean, we have brand new depth charts, free agents, draft guys. We don't know what the pecking order is going to be in a lot of these situations in the preseason would at least help us hash out those you know trickier position battles and orders so let's get after it and the first one that has you know taken over twitter these last few days is the washington football team we kind of expected a running back by committee but darius geist was seen as the guy i mean last year when he was healthy two years ago when he was healthy he was getting a lot of run so he's been released for his domestic violence related related arrest excuse me currently they now boast adrian peterson bryce love peyton barber J.D. McKissick, and everyone's favorite new rookie, Antonio Gibson. What are your expectations for this group in 2020? Yeah, pretty low. I think the, the best thing that I can say is that Antonio Gibson is practicing as a wide receiver for part of his work. Um, he's learning wide receiver routes. And, you know, I mean, there's so much more value in a target than in a carry, particularly in an offense whose offensive line is probably bottom two, bottom three in the entire NFL, particularly on the left side. So I don't have a lot of hope for this run game. If you can give me start projecting six, seven, eight, ten Antonio Gibson carries and three, four, five Antonio Gibson targets. Now we're talking. So I wouldn't worry about it too much from a depth chart perspective. I think Adrian Peterson will be the quote unquote starter. I don't think Antonio Gibson is going to threaten him for that early in the season. I think we could see Bryce Love ahead of Gibson as well. Maybe if Bryce Love is healthy, but that's not really what I'm worried about I'm worried about value of touches and value of depth chart and to me if Antonio Gibson can be that guy who gets three four five targets on top of running back work well now we're talking however I have seen like everybody's just so excited about this guy he starts going in the fifth round I mean that, that that's that's an absolute joke to me on one of the least talented offenses in the NFL playing the running back position when you barely touch the ball in college when you have Adrian Peterson ahead of you and a bunch of other guys as you mentioned so so, yeah, I don't think I'm too excited about any of these guys unless the price comes way down on Gibson. Fifth round's absurd. I would not recommend that to even my worst enemy out here. It's easy, it's easy to be excited about the guy, though. I mean, you know, six foot, almost 230, ran a sub 4'4". Four, four. Dude broke a tackle every 0.48 touches, which was just, yeah, you know. But he only had, like, 70 touches. Yeah, like, I get, <laughs> I get it. But when you only touch about 70, you know what I mean? I hear you. I hear you. But so, all right, here's my question here, though, because it's a, you know, he's this classic running back wide receiver hybrid. 
I, I love these guys. I always fall in love with them. They always kind of disappoint me because we don't see the coaching staff use them, right? You know, for every year where Percy Harvin does get used, we get the Curtis Samuel situation where they aren't used quite so well. But this Ron Rivera comparing them to giving, you know, Gibson this Christian McCaffrey-esque skill set. I hate when we compare rookies to these, you know, all pros and all that. But, you know, we have Andy Reid comparing Clyde Eberslaire to Brian Westbrook, and I feel like we all kind of ate that up. But Ron Rivera compares Gibson to McCaffrey, and we're just kind of like, eh, get out of here. Coach speak this time of the year is running rampant. How do you kind of treat these head coaches, when, like the head coaches, when they compare these guys to a stud, you know, versus a random fantasy analyst? Yeah. So the first thing that I'd say is like compare these comps with Percy Harvin and Curtis Samuel. I don't know if that's fair because those are wide receiver to running back comps, right? Like at least this is a running back to running back comp. And I think he's talking about skill set, not Christian McCaffrey's ability, obviously. Like guys who can be effective rushing the football and guys who can line up in the slot and guys who can line up out wide guys who have like a huge success rate against linebackers when they're running routes. Those are the kind of skill sets that I think we want to be excited about. So yeah, I, I get it from that perspective. And from a fantasy perspective, yeah, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, uh, Austin Eckler, like these are the best players to me, at least in DFS. And I guess in season long too, because they are game flow independent because the target is worth so much more than a carry for a lot of reasons. You get so many more big plays. So, so yeah, um, I, I dig the comp. I just am not sure that this coaching staff is going to be ready to give 10, 15 touches a game to Antonio Gibson. Fair enough. Yeah. It's going to be tough for him to, to get there. It's, amount of stuff he's going to have to learn to try to play both positions. The depth charts at RB and wide receiver are weak enough. You know, if he is good enough, he can definitely rise up, but definitely not a situation where you're going to be starting him in week one. All right, moving on. Dolphins backfield. This is undefined as any in the league. Recently, we had the Dolphins RB coach said, say, uh, Jordan Howard's role has not been defined yet. They acquired Matt Breida for a fifth-round pick. We still got, you know, Patrick Laird and Kalen Ballard. They technically exist, I guess. How do you see a situation shaking out? Because I see some people say we don't know what's going on there, so we should stay away. But because we don't know what's going on there, these guys are really cheap, really redraft DFS and everything. I think there could be some value if we can identify this backfield kind of before the rest of the public does. Generally speaking, I would uh, advise people to kind of shift their mindset. Ambiguous backfields, I think, are more valuable than handcuffed backfields. You know, like I would rather take a shot on an ambiguous backfield than someone who I'm like praying for an injury in order to have value, right? And so, yeah, I, I don't know that this is that ambiguous, though. To me, coaches love Jordan Howard. Coach coaches love giving the ball to Jordan Howard. He doesn't make them any mistakes. He falls forward. He runs in a straight line, whatever. I mean, coaches everywhere he's gone have liked to give the ball Jordan Howard, I think he'll pretty clearly be the featured early early down back. And I think Matt Breed will come in and, and play well because Matt Breed is a very, very good player uh, on passing downs and two minute and four minute and stuff like that. So, so to me, it's pretty clear. I'm surprised that people think that this is really an ambiguous backfield. I think the concern is that this will be, I mean, almost without a doubt, the league's worst offensive line. And once they get to it in there, you know, I, I think it's going to be more conservative, at least with fits in there. It's like, full YOLO, you know, let's go up and down the field. Let's make big plays uh, and not worry about turning the ball over. I think once Tua gets in there, they could button it up a little bit more. Tua will play more conservative. And I don't think that'll be good for fantasy uh, in general. So I get why people are down on the backfield. I don't think it's that ambiguous though. I don't know, do you? Not really, man. I mean, I'm with you. I think Jordan Howard is that guy. We've seen him. He started his career with John Fox, getting over 280 touches per year. Matt Nagy comes in and gives him, you know, another 270 touches. And with the Eagles pre-injury, I mean, he was on pace for 229. I mean, he kept Miles Sanders on the bench, and that wasn't exactly, you know, 
malpractice from the coaching staff. I mean, Jordan Howard was legit playing well. A funny quote from Mr. Uh, Sigmund Bloom uh, from the program. He compared Jordan Howard. He said he's catnip for coaches. He runs hard, stays in the template of the play. I mean, he's not the sexiest guy. He's not Matt Breida, but it's a little concerning to me that someone like Kyle Shanahan would so willingly give up Matt Breida and not play him down the stretch. I hear you. I mean, this Dolphins team last year was dead last in yards before contact per rush at 0.7. Fitzpatrick led the team in rushing. But I think Howard at this spot in this offense, even if the offense isn't great, when you have a running back that's going to probably be flirting with 250-plus touches, you got to pay attention. Yeah, I, I wouldn't take him in that, like, fourth to, like, eighth round range where a lot of these empty – touch running backs go but once you start getting into 9 10 11 i mean you know pat Curry did a bunch of work for us on running backs and showed that historical hit rates for running backs between round four and six is pretty much identical to round seven and ten like you're not losing much by passing on those rounds four to six running backs who are often empty touch running backs for guys in more ambiguous backfields or whatever in round seven to ten so yeah I, i'm okay with it i don't want to start a battle between you and pat but on the spot ronald jones or jordan howard Oh, Ronald Jones. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Moving on the Raiders. This passing game is getting all sorts of attention right now. We had their OC, you know, mentioned that Henry Ruggs was going to start in the slot. Quote was a little bit, you know, just saying they're going to move the guys around, though. And then we're getting third-round rookie Brian Edwards. Man, this is getting more hype by the day. I mean, there's a good portion of Twitter that just seems to think this dude's going to pass Ruggs, potentially. With that said, we got some pretty solid incumbent starters in Hunter Renfro, and I think more so Tyrell Williams. We got three tight ends that should be involved, and obviously Derek Carr orchestrating this system. Who are you kind of expecting to rise to the top of this Vegas passing game? Yeah, you know, people take and run with these quotes too much. You know, obviously Henry Ruggs is not a full-time slot player. Like, you don't have to be some type of, uh, you know, tape scout to do that. Deshaun Jackson played a lot in the slot when he played Z in slot. Tyreek Hill plays a lot in the slot playing Z and slot. These is where you put your best playmakers because they can be productive there at times. So I don't know, you know, 30, 40, 50% of Henry Ruggs snaps come in the slot and the rest come outside. That's exciting to me. And yeah. Uh, at cost, considering prices now, I definitely think Henry Ruggs is uh, the guy that I would want from this pass catching core. And I always thought that. I mean, Henry Ruggs has been undervalued, I think, in Dynasty. He was going like the second round and he had like a 12th or 13th round ADP. Now I think it's starting to rise up, unfortunately, from that quote. And I say unfortunately because it was like not even a real quote. Like he, he like the guy, like it got taken out of context, kind of. Uh, but now his ADP, I'm sure, is going up probably ninth, uh, 10th round. But still, yeah, I mean, Henry Ruggs is a ridiculous athlete and although his deep ball skill set may not mesh well with the way Derek Carr likes to throw their willingness to play him in that short slot role I mean Tyreek Hill gets so many little screens and bubble screens and quick hitters you know what I mean and if they can do that with Henry Ruggs and that fits well with Derek Carr I'd be super excited about him and Ruggs flashed plenty of that ability at Bama I mean sure he was running guys he was running right past guys plenty of times, but you know, you do see the screens, you see the slants, you see him making plays after catch college football's highest passer rating when targeted last year. So I'm all in on rugs as well. And yeah, this might just be a situation like the chiefs where, you know, the guys move around the formation. Great. It's harder to game plan against them. So now Edwards is a more interesting guy. Cause you know, just originally seeing rugs there, I wasn't really expecting Edwards to maybe even start the season in th three wide receiver sets. I mean, Tyrell Williams is the only player in the league to average at least 10 yards per target in each of the past three seasons seasons been looking into Edwards a little bit more though and I mean PFS Kevin Cole uh, did a pretty cool article a while back on just kind of prospect comps and the most similar player to Edwards was Devontae Adams I mean the guy's got a nice ceiling but like how many players do we really think Derek Carr can elevate in this passing game 
Yeah, and I, I don't think he'll start week one. I, I do think it'll be Tyrell and Ruggs on the outside, and then they'll bring in Hunter Renfro, and you still have Darren Waller there, and they still have Jalen Richard, and they brought back Lynn Bowden. So if you're doing any kind of projection, it's really hard to get Brian Edwards uh, very high. I'm definitely not draftable from a medium perspective. I think if you think, if you believe that Brian Edwards can eventually beat out Tyrell Williams, who I believe is in a contract year, well, maybe you have a little something there. But no, I haven't been taking any uh, Brian Edwards, you know, um, I'm not uh, on the, you know, team tape, uh, scout the hip swivel or whatever. I know there's a lot of tape guys that like uh, Brian Edwards uh, or whatever, but from an opportunity perspective, I, I still think that Brian Edwards probably has a ways to go. Yeah, that's another reason why it's important to, you know, when you're looking at these wide receivers, even in a best case scenario where Edwards ends up being the number two wide receiver there, still could easily be a number three or four pass game target right. with all those tight ends and running backs. All right, so the Jets. This was one of the craziest quotes because Adam Gase actually said something nice about Le'Veon Bell after seemingly doing everything to piss this dude off over the last two years. He called Bell extremely motivated and said he's in phenomenal shape, you know. I don't think those are necessarily false last season, but Bell's performance was obviously incredibly disappointing. I mean, the O-line was a disaster, so you can't pin it all on him, but I mean, 3.2 yards per carry is 3.2 yards per carry. We got the inconvenient truth, Frank Gore now there. They threw a bunch of resources at the offensive line, just kind of hoping it's going to be better. It couldn't get much worse, but man, it's, it's hard to go back to this. What are your expectations for Bell? And do you think he has another RB1 level run in him? No, I don't. And maybe it's not his fault, but I mean, people underestimate like uh, game environment and scheming and all that. And, and yeah, I mean, Le'Veon Bell was in an amazing scheme in, in Pittsburgh and now he's in just an absolutely awful one, Adam Gase. I mean, you can go back to Kenny Drake and Devontae Parker and, and uh, even Jarvis Landry. I don't know. There's so many guys that Adam Gase is just, just crippled and who have broken out elsewhere. And so I, I don't doubt that that would happen to Le'Veon Bell if Le'Veon Bell was on uh, on the Chiefs, he would be just an absolute smash, you know. So, so yeah, from a game environment, from a team scheming perspective, from uh, a uh, coach faith perspective, I'm not really buying that quote that much. I mean, coaches love to give the ball to Frank Gore. And they also drafted the Michael P. Ryan. I believe that was the fourth round. So, um, yeah, you know, I know you can get Adam Gase in the fourth or fifth round, and it's tempting, but it's an example to me of empty touches. In other words, you know, you're just banging on a guy being like, well, the best thing I can say about this guy is he's probably going to touch the ball 250 times. Like, if that's the best thing that I can say about him, I'm not that excited about it. Yeah, the targets were the concern, man. I mean, 78 targets playing a whole season. That was his lowest mark in any season where he had at least 12 games. I mean, just kind of the spot he's going – Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, David Montgomery. I have all these guys even ahead of Bell because I just think the touch ceiling is higher. I mean, it's it's a situation where I'd be borderline shocked if this dude clears 300 touches this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Gaze clearly doesn't like him, doesn't want to change the offense to fit him. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, and you mentioned their offensive line. They upgraded talent in, in a massive way. I mean, they have way more talent on the offensive line. They haven't gotten to play together at all, and so we'll see how that works. But, yeah, talent is a big upgrade, so – I guess I can say two good things about Le'Veon Bell. The <laughs> offensive line is much better, and he's probably going to touch the ball 200, 250 times. There we go. We got, we, we got two good things from Adam and Le'Veon, uh, from Adam for Le'Veon in 10 seconds. It took Adam Gase about two years to say one. So, all right, moving on to Le'Veon's old team. Steelers passing game, I think it's going a bit undervalued all the way around, and people are maybe trying to – starting to understand just how good they are when Big Ben is healthy. Whether or not he's going to be that same guy after this elbow injury remains to be seen, but we got Juju as the expected wide receiver one. Deontay Johnson as the likely wide receiver two. Incumbent field stretcher James Washington. It seems like Chase Claypool is coming for that job. So just, you know, assuming for a second that Rossberg can stay healthy a little bit, who do you want the most exposure to in this passing game? 
Yeah, well, I've been taking Juju. I mean, going back to, I don't know, whenever we started doing drafts, you know, Juju, you could get him in like the fifth or like the fourth round. Now it's kind of more like third, uh, you know, early third to get Juju Smith-Schuster. I think very clearly people are starting to understand that you can just disregard all stats last year and all tape from the Steelers. They weren't even trying to run an NFL-style offense. So now you get like, Ben back, get three ligaments repaired in his throwing elbow, which is a concern. Obviously, I believe he's 38 years old now, it, you know, has to be one of the quarterbacks least likely to stay healthy for the whole season. But in the games that he does, their passing rate is going to be extremely high. And I think uh, Juju is going to be the go-to guy. I think at this point for the cost, I think the best deal is probably Eric Ebron. He can get like the 13th, 14th, 15th round. And in a lot of these best balls that I've been doing, if you take a premium tight end and you want to do a two tight end roster construction, I think late with Eric Ebron, makes sense. Vance McDonald's just wasn't it last year. They go out and they get Ebron, who remains, I mean, just a, a total uh, freak talent. I know he's underperformed at times, but you saw when he was used optimally in Indy. I mean, dude was beasting. 14 touchdowns all the way back in the year 2018. Yeah, man. I mean, I think guys that drop the ball, like, okay, I understand Ebron isn't the best real life tight end, but this is a situation where we've been just dying to see the Steelers get an athletic minded tight end for years. We thought it might be Vance. We might, we thought it might be Ladarius Green, you know, a couple of years ago and they just haven't gotten that guy and it could be Ebron. Now Deontay Johnson's the interesting guy. You know, I was looking at just how often do teammates in the same offense ball out. And since 2010, we've had an average of 4.3, uh, teammate wide receivers per season, both be top 24 producers. Are you buying the Deontay Johnson hype? Yeah, it's tough to evaluate. Like I said, it's tough for me to, to really put much stock in last year at all. And I know he played really well last year with just absolutely atrocious quarterback play. Um, I feel like some of those plays were kind of flukish and just pale Marys and weird stuff was happening. But I think Deontay Johnson can play and I think he's ahead for the number two role. And I don't think that we're going to see a ton of volume for the tight ends. So, so yeah, I'm okay with it. You know, his price is up there though, right? Isn't he going like the eighth round or something now? And I'd rather have Will Fuller than Deontay Johnson. You know, I'd rather have Marquise Brown than Deontay Johnson. I don't know if that's the same range, but, but yeah, I, 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 I guess I'm probably uh, with the market at best on Deontay Johnson. That's fair. And yeah, it's one of those things, man, yak and like tackle breaking. I mean, only Debo Samuel averaged more uh, force missed tackles per touch among wide receivers than Deontay. Is that a sign of regression or is that a sign he's a really good player? So we'll, we'll see how that pans out, but I agree with you. It's, I, I think Claypool is there to take Washington's job, not, not Deontay. So, mm -hmm. all right, man, those were the big five. I want to do some more quick hits. So I'm going to serve you up a situation. Just give me your kind of two to three sentence thoughts on it. So Buccaneers backfield. Yeah, I think the LaShawn McCoy signing was more about pass downs and the upgrade on Derek Gunwable and upgrade on Keyshawn Vaughn than had anything to do with Ronald Jones. So I would not have moved Ronald Jones in the rankings at all based on LaShawn McCoy signing. Yeah, I mean, no, per Bruce, he did say Rojo is the guy. And I saw his quotes from the year before, and he never said that. He said he has all the confidence in the world in Rojo. He'll be a heck of a player for us. One of the most impressive guys in the offseason. Rojo's shaping up as the guy. I think we do need to accept that at this point, particularly at cost. It's not like you need to use a top pick on him anyway. Brown's passing game pecking order. We got OBJ, Landry, Hooper's there, and Kareem Hunt. Remember, Landry now finally off the pup list. I guess the hip's okay. Yeah, uh, to me uh... – this is one of the best post-hype offenses that we're going to find. Everybody was all in on the Browns last year. I think now another year removed for Odell from the trade, another year to work with Baker. Um, 
massive upgrades on offensive line, probably the most improved offensive line in the NFL. And I think that was a really big issue for them last year. Odell also, you know, it's always something with Odell, but I believe him that he played through, you know, whatever sports hernia issue last year. So yeah, I think nice bounce back spot for Odell. I am out uh, on the tight ends. I'm out on Austin Hooper. Uh, I think we can do much better. I'd rather just wait and take like Hawkinson or Fant or Goddard or Ian Thomas than go in like the ninth or 10th round on, on Hooper or wherever he's going. So, so yeah, I, I think Odell and is, is going to return to being top dog for sure. Yeah. Uh, good stuff, man. Yeah. I think uh, just looking at that offense last year after Kareem Hunt got back, he was the number three guy, but you know, OBJ just wasn't great in the first year of chemistry. He was hurt. Baker, you know, took the step back, but do keep betting on that talent, especially if the guy is back and being healthy. All right. Texans passing game, pecking order. Hopkins is gone, but Really, for the first time in Deshaun Watson's career, he's got more than two uh, competent receivers at his disposal. Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills. Who do you see rising to the top here? Yeah, it's tough, you know, because I think Brandon Cooks is a very good player. Uh, we've seen so many concussion woes with him lately and also the way the Rams were using him last year. I don't think was great either. Um, Will Fuller, to me, is the most explosive ascending player uh, maybe in the league who has the intersection of opportunities. So like, you know, DeAndre Hopkins was seeing 150, 160 targets a year. I mean, it's just insane how locked on Texans quarterbacks and Deshaun Watson were to DeAndre Hopkins. And, you know, when DeAndre, when uh, Deshaun Watson gets behind, I mean, he plays so well and, and yeah, you know, God, I mean, Will Fuller could just have an absolutely massive year. And I know all, all the, Three condom people are going to come on here and tell me that Will Fuller is going to get hurt and they, they can see the future. They know he's going to get hurt. And I understand that historically speaking, guys who have been hurt before are more likely to get hurt going forward. But I think it's a risk worth taking. And if Will Fuller misses games, like people don't, people just assume you take a zero. Like you're allowed to put somebody else in your lineup if Will Fuller misses a game. You know what I mean? And so hopefully we're good enough to build a bench and, and have some guys that we can put in there. Trying to win your league, first or last. I mean, I, there's very few receivers in the entire league that have this sort of weekly ceiling as Will Fuller. I mean, I understand there's a floor there, but let's you know quit ignoring that ceiling for a second. Uh, real quick on the same offense. I mean, they, look, I'm you know one of the biggest Duke Johnson truthers out there, but unfortunately, Duke wasn't traded for the freaking franchises, one of their favorite players ever. That's David Johnson, and we've all seen the run he had against the Buccaneers last year, where it looked like he was 40 years old. But weeks one through six, he was pretty good. Bob had you know historically kind of uses featured backs are you buying a bounce back for david johnson yeah it's tough you know evan's out on uh on david johnson and some other guys you know that we work with mike leone is is in on david johnson you know if you say that duke johnson's gonna have the same role as last year and if you say that david johnson uh will find some rejuvenation from all this time off uh yeah it's it's i mean fourth or fifth round is just a total smash for for David Johnson. So I don't know, man, I, I'm concerned that Kenyon Drake was so productive. Like everybody except for David Johnson was productive as a runner in Arizona. That, that concerns me a little bit, but I hate to be like a talent watch the tape guy. People keep showing that stupid clip of David Johnson where it looks like he's like walking to the sideline. Like that's one clip, like show me some more evidence that he's completely washed. I don't know yet. So I'm probably with the market I'd say right now on David Johnson. I don't really have a take either way. I mean, we had that one clip. If we want to go back earlier in the season, I mean, there's a clip of him running away from Bobby freaking Wagner in the open field. So I don't know if he's washed just yet. Yeah, having Duke there 
muddles the opportunity a little bit. But yeah, fourth or fifth round, I think him and James Conner are the cheapest true three down potential workhorses available in most fantasy drafts. All right, on to Cincinnati. We've been getting some Joe Burrow practice clips. AJ Green is reportedly looking good, but it's crowded. We got Tyler Boyd in the slot seemingly. John Ross, forever how long he can stay healthy, can do some things. But they didn't draft T. Higgins at 33 overall to sit him on the bench. I love Auden Tate, but, you know, that's probably going to be the last we're going to talk about him on this podcast. Uh, who do you see kind of rising to the top and being this wide receiver three for Burrow? Yeah, I, I like this Cincinnati offense, man. I, I wish they were in a different division because I think the teams that they play in the division all have very, very good defenses, including Cleveland. But, but um, yeah, from the wide receiver three perspective, I actually think – I don't know, man. I think it should be John Ross. I probably wouldn't have taken T Higgins if I was them, or maybe I would have taken T Higgins with the idea that they're going to let AJ Green walk after this year and they needed more wide receiver depth. But I want John Ross on the field. Like he's the kind of player in today's NFL that stretches defenses, that breaks games. I mean, even when Deshaun Jackson is not catching footballs, every quarterback that he's played with rate, all of their stats are better with Deshaun Jackson on the field. And I think that's what John Ross can do. And we saw last year, a lot of it was in garbage time. But John Ross is a game breaker, man. So um, I am not opposed to last round flyers on John Ross and hoping he can win, uh, beat out T Higgins or something happens to AJ Green or, or whatever. There's paths to John Ross still getting there. And, and yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm a little biased towards John Ross because uh, he was one of my, you know, most productive players for me in DFS early last year, which was, which was awesome. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, it, it'll be T Higgins versus John Ross and, and I would give the edge right now to Ross, but we'll see. Yeah, Ross, week one, seven catches, 158 yards, two touchdowns. Week two, four catches, 112 yards, one touchdown. Man, we know he's got the speed. And this is one of those situations, too, where, like, if they want to go with Higgins, I think there's going to be a lot of trade partners for John Ross. And you put him in almost any offense. And, you know, that's a situation that you wouldn't necessarily uh, hate to be having him on the fantasy squad. All right, man, last one. Hope you don't piss me off here. Patriots QB. Some people are calling this a competition. Is it, or is this Cam Newton's squad? No, 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 no. It's not a competition. I mean, Cam is, is going to start week one. I think question of, of how uh, fantasy effectiveness will be, I think, is, is debatable. You know, I thought a big reason last year that Tom Brady struggled so much was lack of weaponry. I don't think they've done enough to upgrade there. I think they'll play somewhat conservative. And I'm not sure that Cam is going to be the same runner as he was prior to having rotator cuff surgery prior to a Liz Frank injury. So yeah, I have my concerns about Cam Newton uh, from a fantasy perspective, but I, I don't have concerns about him starting, obviously. That's good to hear. And yeah, we have seen, it seems like the public is kind of coming around to him at, at this point, current ADP, QB 18, still really low, man, but he was in yeah. kind of that QB 20 range to start it off. The weapons aren't there, but man, the weapons have really never been there for Cam. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. they finally got him for him in those later Carolina years, but he just wasn't healthy enough to use them. So I am holding out hope, you know, based on that 2016 Texans game where we saw how creative, you know, they were with Jacoby Brissett in the run game, but it's fair, man. We're coming back from that foot injury might not be the same guy. All right, man. Those are the main ones I wanted to talk about. Thank you for coming on, dude. Anything you guys got going on at establish the run that you want to pitch? No, man. Just uh, you can always follow what we're doing on our Twitters. You know, I'm Adam Levitan establish the run on Twitter and, and yeah, uh, check out our podcast you can just search for establish a run and and yeah man nothing really just happy to be here man happy to see you good talking to you bro yeah everyone follow adam on twitter at adam levitan i'm ian hart it's he's adam thank you all for tuning in until next time